Hello, I'm Brad Riley, and you're listening to Forming the Spirit Within, a podcast where you'll find such things as in-depth Bible studies, some classes I teach on a variety of spiritual matters, as well as some conversations I want to have with you and others along the way, all of which I hope will inspire you to a deeper life in Jesus Christ. In his second Corinthian letter, St. Paul the Apostle described our lives as a process of transformation that comes to us by looking full into the face of Jesus. And as we behold His glory, we are transformed into His glorious likeness in ever-increasing measure. What an amazing thought, that we can be transformed into the very glory of Jesus. That is my prayer for you, that in some small way this podcast will help you in your transformation from glory into even greater glory as Christ forms His Spirit within you. I hope you'll subscribe to the podcast and not only listen, but join in on the conversation with a question or a comment. Thanks so much for listening, and may the Lord be with you. Hey, good morning, everyone. I think it is uh, 11 o'clock sharp, and just jumping on live here to start our Bible study and continue our study in the Gospel of Luke. I want to welcome all of you who are joining us and who will be joining us over the next few minutes. I had a little trouble here. I almost thought I was going to be late. I'm having a little trouble with the audio recording on the computer, so I'm trying something different. As you know, a couple of weeks ago, I lost part two audio recording, but uh, because on the computer, what I'm actually using the iPhone. I'm doing Facebook Live, obviously, with it, but I'm also using another program on it that does audio recording, which is what I always used to do my podcast on. So hopefully that captures the audio because I'm frustrating myself by losing some of these audio versions while I'm capturing the video portion. So, hey, thanks for coming by and joining us today. We are going to be looking at a particular passage of scripture. We've been looking at the the Gospel of Luke chapter 1. Now, you might be hearing a little puppy dog barking in the background. That is a dog who's not happy because I'm the only one in here right now, and I put him away in the other room, and so he's, uh, he's probably going to bark all through this, so I apologize. But uh, as we look at the Gospel of Luke chapter 1, you know we've been following the story of the announcement of Jesus' birth to Zechariah and Elizabeth and the miracle birth that that was, was about to be for them. And then we followed the Annunciation to the Virgin Mary uh, and the miracle birth that the incarnation of our Lord is. So now, this morning, when we study, we're going to be looking at the Song of Mary, which is often called the Magnificat, which is the Latin term for the word magnify. Uh, So in Latin, it was called the Magnificat. This is one of the great songs or hymns of praise in the Christian church and the history of the Christian church. Hi, Sandy and Sue. Thanks for joining in today. Uh, And I want to say hello to all those who will be listening into this broadcast later, catching it on video and hopefully on the podcast as well. Um, I just got last week's up on the podcast this morning, so you can find that if you missed it and you don't have the video. Uh, But as we look at the Song of Mary, there are going to be three songs in the first two chapters. I told you that in, in week one. There are There are three songs, the Song of Mary, then there is the Song of Zechariah, and then in chapter 2 we'll have the Song of Simeon. These are great ancient hymns of praise of the Christian faith, perhaps the oldest that are particularly Christian. I mean, because these were were birthed by the souls of Mary, Zechariah, and Simeon, 
through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, because they're all included in Scripture, you know, in the very infancy of, of Jesus. So you could almost say these are the very first Christian hymns ever written and recorded uh, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Good morning, Mary and Judy. Thanks for joining in. Uh, so I'm really going to love to teach this story on the Magnificat because it, it, it's always been one of my favorite prayerful songs. Uh, it's a song of joy, for sure, um, and, and we're going to talk about that in just a minute. But it has kind of a, a funny story in my life back when I, this would be, I'm going to take you back. I told you last week I'd tell you this story, even though I don't look too good through this story. It's not a good story about me. Uh, it kind of makes fun of me. But when I was just graduated high school, the year was 1978, and the uh, the orchestra director at the high school, and I didn't play an instrument, but I was really good friends with the orchestra director, Mr. Kiger, and his family. They, they were just loving friends. And they uh, attended St. Matthew's Episcopal Church. And so I went there. There was a time in my life where that's where I went. And... Uh, Kind of those of you who know that I have a Catholic background, there was this window of time where I was actually attending the Episcopal Church uh, because it was a, I, I don't know why, is he, what would a teenager know about deep theology and truth and, and those kind of things? I was still searching, but, but it seemed like a, a way that I needed to go. It seemed a little more palatable, actually, to my family, uh, that, it was a, that it was Protestant, if you will. Uh, my father, I remember him when I, we looked at the Brook of Common Prayer you know, because I've been going to the Catholic Church for a long time. My father wasn't too happy about that, but he, he looked in the front of the Book of the Common Prayer. It says the common, Book of Common Prayer of the Protestant Episcopal Church of the United States. He said, hmm, well, it's Protestant. I guess it's okay. So that was kind of a, a, a reason, I think, in, in emotionally why I went there for a while. But I loved it. It had a beauty to its worship, and I'm so thankful for my past, my background in, in several different liturgies. Uh, and as, as I was going there, it, it was now Christmas, so it's December uh, 24th, Christmas Eve, 1978, and uh, the day before, so it's December 23rd, it's going to be time for the Midnight Mass. St. Matthew's had a Midnight Mass at uh, Christmas Eve at midnight to uh, worship the, the newborn Christ child, and in doing that, uh, Mr. Kiger, uh, something came up that he had to leave. He actually directed the choir at St. Matthew's Church. He was an orchestra director in high school, but directed the choir at St. Matthew's Church, of which I sang in the choir. Now, one thing you need to know about me, I love to sing, I'm not that good, but I cannot read music. And Mr. Kiger said to me, he said, I, Brad, I've gotta be gone, I cannot come to Midnight Mass. I think uh, there was an illness in the family or something, he had to be gone. And, and he's like, what are we going to do? You, you've got to direct the choir for me. And I've got me? I can't direct a choir. I, I, I can't even read music. And he's like, oh, I'll teach you. I'll teach you. You know, and I'm like, yeah, right. And one day you're going to teach me how to, uh, you know, there was just, I knew there was a disaster coming my way. And so I, uh, uh, he said, here's, here's what you do. You, you keep time. Uh, if the song is in 4-4 four, four time, think of the sign of the cross. You go, one, two, three, four, one two, three, four. I said, oh, cool. I, I think I can do that, you know? <clears throat> and then he said, if it's a three, four time, the song's written in three, four, it's like a triangle. One, two, three, one, two, three. So you think of the sign of the cross and the Holy Trinity, you got it, okay? That's not to say anything about all the little uh, different cadences, rests, holds, 
just the tempo, I was in for trouble. So here we are. It's time for service. Now, I have a solo, and my solo is on the Magnificat. We're going to sing the Magnificat right as the service is beginning. And, um, and my solo is the first few lines, and it's a cappella, the first few lines. And I am ner- I'm not nervous to sing the solo so much. I'm nervous because there's no way I'm going to do very good. We tried to practice earlier with the choir, and, and I was the organist was so frustrated. Everybody's frustrated. I'm just saying, Lord, we need a miracle. And so I, uh, I, I started my solo. It's time to start. And the first line, I'm looking at it here in the scripture, my soul, Mary said, and my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. That was my solo, Okay. My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. Now, I have no idea what key that was in. I don't know anything about keys. I don't even know that was right. That's just the way I kind of learned it, and uh, it, and it, it had just kind of a flow to it. Well, this song that we were going to sing, and right after my solo part, the organ was supposed to come in. And then the, and the choir with the next line. And this is not in 3-4 or 4-4. Four, four. I mean, it just kind of, this was a particular, it was called, I think it was called Benedictine Plain Song, okay? Uh, kind of an ancient chanting way. And I was sitting here thinking, do I do this in 4-4? Four, four? Hey, John, John's a, John's a musical person. Uh, you'll have to go back and listen to all this story, John, because it, it was a disaster on my part. Uh, for music. I don't know how to beat this song. It's called Benedictine Plain Song. I don't know what to do, but I got my solo part out and then the rest, the organist is looking at me, the choir's looking at me and and I'm the only good part was the uh you know, so you picture, you know, somebody coming in and the organist and it not quite matching up and it was horrible. The only good thing was the choir loft was in the back of the church and nobody could see me. Except I know there were some, we were doing so bad up there. I know there were some people in the church who were kind of looking up there going, who is directing this choir tonight? So it was a fiasco. And it started off with my horrible direction of this beautiful song. Hi, Cindy, good to see you. My, my horrible direction of this beautiful song of Mary called the Magnificat. So uh, that's kind of my uh, little self-deprecating humor. Whenever I read the scripture, I always think of that night, Christmas Eve, 1978, and how I literally butchered the whole service. I mean, we went through the different parts. I mean, we made it through the service. We had no choice, but trust me, it was probably the worst midnight mass service in St. Matthew's Episcopal Church history, and I'm sure ever will be. but boy, I learned a lot. You know, learned a lot about humility, that's for sure. So uh, let's let's look at script. As we begin today, if you don't have a cup of coffee, go get one. You know, we've got time. We haven't just jumped right into the scripture. My, my coffee today is brought to you in my New York City mug. I'm just thinking about the people of New York City and this pandemic and the crisis. And just, you know, they're always on my heart, as everyone is who's suffering with this this horrible virus. But uh, this, this mug, I keep it around. My daughter bought it for me when she was in New York. I never been to New York in a way to really see the city, just flown through it. And the, the decals are all coming off because I think I made the mistake of washing it in a dishwasher when I shouldn't have. But I keep the mug because it's very special. So this morning, special prayer for all the people in New York and, uh, and everywhere, of course. But uh, the coffee 
that I put in the special mug today is one of my all-time favorites. You know, lately I've been bringing you coffee from the Crazy Cups because they have those wonderful decaf flavors and I have to drink decaf. Well, this morning it's Bananas Foster. Oh, wow. I wish you could taste this. I mean, if you don't, just go buy it. Just don't, not right now, but go to Amazon later, Crazy Cups, buy it, Bananas Foster. Not quite as good as eating the actual dessert, but wow, is it good. So I hope you get some coffee. I hope you have a chance to, to just kind of settle in for our study, grab a notepad, because there's a lot we're going to talk about today. But before we start the study of scripture, we always pray our prayer before the study of scripture. So if you have it with you, grab it. If it's your first time here, it's in the notes on Brad Riley Ministries page, the page you're on watching this. If you look under photos, there it is. Uh, and you can print it out, read it along. But uh, just enter into a spirit of prayer as we ask the Lord to enlighten us as we study his word. Let us pray. Illumine our hearts, O master lover of all humanity, with the pure light of your divine knowledge. Open the eyes of our hearts that we may understand your gospel teachings. Implant deep within us the fear of your blessed commandments, that through them we may conquer all carnal desires and may be transformed to live both thinking and doing the things that are pleasing to you. For you, O Lord, are the light of our souls and bodies, and unto you we give all glory and praise together with our Father, who is from everlasting, and the all-holy, good, and life-creating Spirit, now and ever and unto ages of ages. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for praying that with me. Uh, that's, that's what we want to ask the Lord to do, to illumine our hearts and our, be the light of our souls and bodies. And we're talking about our souls and the light in our soul this morning with this beautiful prayer of Mary. I want to give you just a little bit of background on this scripture and some of the theological significance of this scripture. Um, we're reading verses 46 through 56. It's 10 verses. Next week, we'll finish chapter one as we look at uh, this, uh, the birth of John the Baptist and uh, the song of Zechariah, if you will. But, but for today, just the Magnificat. I'm going to give you a little theological significance of this. Um, before we jump in, we talked about last week as in the Annunciation a little bit. The angel said to Mary, hail Mary, or, you know, hail Mary, full of grace. Blessed, uh, the Lord has, has blessed you. And, and in that setting, we didn't have time to talk completely about this issue of Mary and her role in this divine plan of God. And she's, she's going to call attention to her role in the divine plan of God. So I wanted to bring that up. Um, if, if, if Protestant Christians are sometimes very uh, nervous about talking about the role of, of Mary uh, in their faith or in the faith, uh, and I think there's some, it's, it's from a lack of understanding. There's been such a divide between, <clears throat> pardon me, I need another sip of banana foster, it's been such a divide between Catholic faith and Protestant faith for 500 years now uh, that something very critical has been missed. Catholic uh, theologians uh, throughout the centuries tended to go, I would say, too far with their theology on Mary. 
but if that's true, and I know there are those that would debate me, and I'm not here to offend anyone, please know I'm saying all of this in love. This is a discourse in love, talking about our faith. This is how we learn. But I also want you to know that Protestants have been guilty of not saying enough about Mary or understanding enough about Mary. Well, first thing, let's understand, Mary's a human being. Mary has no divine power to do anything for us other than pray, like any other one of our loved ones who's, who's in heaven, who's uh, watching over us. Um, the, the church should always acknowledge that. She has no divine power. She's just a human. But she was a very special human, a, a human that God looked across all of time and space before he ever created and knew she had the purity and the the, the spirit of that would that would rejoice in this moment, rather than like Zechariah, just have some disbelief in fear and trepidation, yes, but rejoice in the moment of knowing that God had chosen her to bring about and to birth into this world the Savior of the world, the final plan of redemption. Uh, I, that blows my mind. I can't even imagine what she must have felt. But she embraced that. Um, so theologically, Mary has, from the earliest of times in the Christian church, been known as the Greek word here, because the New Testament was always written in Greek first. The Greek word here is theotokos. We don't often hear that word. We don't, we don't often understand that word, theotokos, but it's a very theologically significant word, theotokos. Um, it literally means bearer of God. Bearer of God. She was the bearer of God into this world. Not God the Father, but God the Son. Now, why is this important? Because after a few hundred years, there was a man named Nestorius. Nestorius was a bishop, a very prominent. He was, in fact, the patriarch of Constantinople. Um, and Nestorius began to teach, along with others who had already taught um, the, a few hundred years earlier, in, in the uh, 300s, there was a man named Arius, who was also a bishop, not quite as high up, but Arius had been teaching that Jesus was not God. He was man. He was God's son. He was created by God, but he was not God. That swept through the church as a great uh, heresy. And councils, the very first council uh, of Nicaea was held in the year 325 AD in order to settle that question and what the result of that council and the second council held just uh, you know, latter part of that century, in 381, I think, the Council of Constantinople, the result of those two councils gave us the Nicene Creed, or really technically the Nicene Constantinopolitan Creed. And that creed defines who God is for a Christian believer, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, hi, Beverly, thanks for jumping in. Um, we're talking about the, the, the Nicene Creed here for just a moment because it defines for us who God the Father is, who Jesus Christ the Son is, and who the Holy Spirit is. Hey, Brother Rob, good to see you today. So this became important because as the years went on, this Arian controversy that was teaching that Jesus was not actually God was sweeping the church. It, it, was, it was almost going to win the day for a while. Now, if it sounds familiar to you, it is alive and well today and has been throughout different times of history in the theology of people like the Jehovah's Witness. Beautiful, good people, not putting them down, but mistaken in the fact that they do not accept Jesus as the eternal God in human form, the God-man. 
so this type of theology, and then Nestorius, in, in a couple of centuries later, took this, and it caused another council to be called, the Council of Ephesus, the Third Council, in which they firmly defined, no, Mary must be called the Theotokos. They'd always called her the Theotokos. Why? Because Nestorius was calling her the Christotokos. He said, no, 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 she's not the mother of God. She's the mother of Christ. So as Protestants, the reason I'm bringing this up is because many times we just don't have a very good base of knowledge on some of this stuff. And the truth is it matters. It matters because if Jesus isn't really the eternal God in flesh, then he's not 100% God and 100% man as our as Orthodox Christian theology throughout history has taught, then he isn't truly our Savior. Because what isn't assumed isn't, and I think it was St. Augustine that said, what isn't assumed is not redeemed. So Christ in his Godhead before all creation, in the providence of God, in the time of God, became human flesh, all of who he was, became human flesh in Mary, born into this world, God and man, indivisible, okay, not just some weird mixture, indivisible, 100% God, 100% man, two natures. That's Christian Orthodox theology. If we don't agree with that, we're outside the mainstream. And if we haven't studied it, a lot of times evangelicals, we just haven't studied it. But uh, it is important, it's very important to our faith uh, to understand that Jesus was fully man, but fully God. And so that idea of being called the Theotokos was a very, very theologically significant one. So now we're ready for the scripture. Let's talk about it just a little bit. And uh, let's read through the scripture together. Verse 46. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has regarded the low estate of his handmaiden. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of low degree. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent empty away. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his posterity forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, this week I asked a question, uh, both on Facebook and in, in a little uh, video that I did earlier in the week. And I said, what does it mean? Does your soul magnify the Lord? What does it mean that our soul magnifies the Lord. Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. So as I was reading that this week, it really began to sink deep into me. Does my soul magnify the Lord? What does that mean? And I invited you to ask some questions. And, and you know, a friend, Kim, she asked that question and she said, you know, what does that mean, Brad? And, uh, and I, I love that dialogue. Please ask questions. You can ask the question right here this morning. I, I, if I've missed you and you've logged on, thank you for joining us. Um, and if you want to ask a question anytime through Facebook, please do. I'm not the Bible answer man. I have no long wall of degrees behind me. 
I just am a guy who loves the Word of God and loves to study it and always has. From about every viewpoint, you can study it and, uh, and, and make sure we know what is true and what is right. And so that's, that's my passion. That's what I want to share with you uh, today. And so as I thought about that, what, what does it mean for our soul to magnify the Lord? And then she says, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Uh, truly, I think we should note, and I answered Kim, if you see that note on there, I answered, I said, you know what I think it means? I think it means transformation. How can our soul magnify the Lord? First, I looked up the word magnify. What does magnify mean? It means to, in, in its original term, it means to, to make greater an object by through some other object or through some lens or somehow to magnify it and make it greater. Okay, so if the what's being made greater here is the Lord God, and and it's the soul is the object that's magnifying it. First thing we have to do is theologically we have to make sure we're sound here. Let's face it, God can't be made larger by anything I do in reality. Okay, He can be seen as larger through who I am and what I do. So let's think about that. My soul is not the very image of God. Okay, Jesus Christ is the very image of God. He's the icon in Greek, Hebrews chapter one. He is the icon of God, the exact representation of his nature. You see Jesus, you see God, okay? But I'm not, but in my soul, not only my soul, but every human soul is an image made in the image of God's likeness, okay? So we bear within us the image, the likeness, of God. And, and I think it's our call in this world, in this life, to take that. It's, it's marred by sin. It's marred by being born in a fallen world. But through our lives, through God's divine providence, through his prevenient grace, drawing us and leading us, we come to a place where we accept this faith, where we, are, we let this faith flourish within us, and we ask the Lord to let our soul magnify him. In other words, to let the little image of him that's in us become greater and greater so what people see is not us, but they see Jesus. They see his image shining through us. That's what I believe Mary was saying. That's what I believe we're all called to do. I think that's a question we should all ask ourselves. Is my soul magnifying the Lord? Our spirit rejoices in God, our Savior. That's more of an easy one for us. We, we want to... Uh, we, we want to rejoice. We want to praise. We want to sing. We go to worship and we do that and we lift our hands, whatever it is. We want our spirits to rejoice in God, our Savior. But let us think also about letting our soul magnify the Lord because the only way that my soul and your soul can make God appear greater in this world is by his transforming grace within us, his sanctifying, transforming grace within us. The Apostle Paul said it this way, he said, we are being transformed from glory into glory in an ever-increasing likeness. That's amazing. Hi, Pam. Hi, Cecil. Thanks for joining in today. I, get, I tell you, I get pumped up about that because this is what our world is missing. This is what far too many of our churches are missing. This theology that understands that we have within us the very image of God, the very likeness of his image, I mean. And, and that 
likeness can be transformed and can be magnified to the world around us as we become more and more and more and more like God, in like Christ, in other words. Our model, our true model is Jesus Christ. Rob, thank you for that good word. Thanks. Keep on in Jesus. I appreciate that so much. You keep on in Jesus too. Rob's a great evangelist uh, with the Church of the Nazarene. Um, I, I just, I, I'm getting, I'm getting goosebumps here. Okay, I, I just, I don't want to preach at you. This is Bible study, but I'm so excited about this thought. Now, I also something else I did to kind of promote this Bible study. This so I posted a picture of E. Stanley Jones. Probably not a lot of you know who E. Stanley Jones is. Maybe some of you do. E. Stanley Jones is a great Methodist uh, missionary to India and to other parts of the world, mostly to India, in the last century. He died in 1973. If you ever find a book by E. Stanley Jones, get it, read it. Okay, I love his style. His style, you can read his books, and his style is just like, it's, it looks like a daily devotional, but the actual story is a theme that flows, but you can break it apart that way. But the guy was a master. Now, the, the thing I really like about it, though, is E. Stanley Jones said this. He said the Magnificat, the very passage of scripture we're studying today, he said the Magnificat is the most revolutionary document in the world. Wow. That's that's pretty bold. That this little prayer of Mary is the most revolutionary document in the world. So I want to explore that with you. I'm going to I think he's right, okay? And I, I want to explore that with you and I want to give you three things that E. Stanley Jones said as we break the scripture apart here, okay? Make it the most revolutionary document in the world. This song of Mary, the first Christian hymn, if you will, okay, before Jesus is actually even born. You know, how did Luke get it? Of course, he was inspired by the Holy Spirit, but it tells you how important this song was, that it was kept alive. Can you imagine Mary singing this song over and over in her life? Can you imagine Mary worshiping with her friends and, and the early Christians and the apostles and the disciples? I, I just know this song became a huge part of the early Christian movement. And that's why the historic Christian faith has always honored this as part of uh, the prayers of the church and the prayer services of the church. Uh, usually in, I, I believe it's usually in a... Uh, evening prayer, which is something called Vespers sometimes, which remember is actually like a morning prayer because theoretically in the beginning, all days began at evening. So it's the beginning of a new day in thought when you have an evening prayer. Now, um, as we look through this, okay, let's, let's see what Mary is saying. Mary, in verse 48, she's rejoicing because specifically God has regarded the lowly estate of his handmaiden. So Mary, in humility, is saying, I'm the handmaiden of the Lord. What's a handmaiden? A handmaiden, hi Rhonda. A handmaiden is a servant, the, 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 the maid around the house. The maid. Mary saw herself as a servant. Uh, Brett, my friend, thanks for joining in today. So Mary is saying she is a servant of God and she is overwhelmed because he's regarded her lowly estate. And, and she says, for behold, Henceforth, all generations shall call me blessed. That's prophecy, okay? So don't get nervous about saying the Blessed Virgin Mary. It's her being directed by God's Spirit to say, everybody's going to call me blessed. What does that mean? It means to recognize that she is a very special person. You have special people in your life, don't you? You have people... Uh, 
maybe a, a father, a mother, a brother, an uncle, or, or a pastor, or somebody who was just like a saint to you. Well, that's what Mary is. She's a saint to all of us. I mean, she is, think about it. She was the first Christian disciple. She's the first person to believe in Jesus in her womb. When he was in her womb, she believed in Jesus. Wow, that's incredible. Um, she asked Jesus for things. I, I, I love the story of the, Jesus at the wedding of Cana in Galilee. You know, it's not, he doesn't feel his time in his humanity. He doesn't feel his time to do his first miracle in public. But Mary, his mother, says, son, do it. And he did it. Turned the water into wine. Um, so uh, here, here she is. From henceforth, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty, giving glory to God here, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Beautiful, beautiful praise. Verse 50, and his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. In other words, forever. Forever and ever, whoever fears the Lord God, who that means to respect and recognize that he is God, and to serve him, his mercy is upon you. His mercy is upon us. Now, I'm going to give you some thoughts from E. Stanley Jones here. Verses 51, 52, and 53. E. Stanley tells us that this is the most revolutionary document in the world. Number one is this. He says that in verse 51, we see a, we see a moral revolution. Let's read it here together. He has, for he has shown strength with his arm, and he has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. What's, 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 what's Mary saying here? Humanity. What is our greatest sin? Pride. Pride. Pride is the downfall to everything. Hi, Chip. Thanks for joining in today. Pride, as scripture says, goeth before fall. Pride is the root of all sins. If you go back and read an ancient classic, and it, it's a difficult classic to read, from the 6th century, it's called uh, The Ladder of Divine Ascent. Uh, um, Jacob uh, was the writer's name. He was a monk, and he was writing it primarily for monks, but it's a classic for anyone to read. It's just a little different to read. But when you're, when you're reading it and it's talking about monastic things, you can think of uh, our own vows to God or to our spouse in religion. Well, we're all monks in some, monks and nuns in some sense because we, we want to vow our allegiance to God and, and to our loved ones and, of course, God first. But uh, in that sense, Jacob's Ladder, there's a, there's a rewriting of it that came out a few years ago. Uh, and what Jacob's uh, um, Ladder was the, the image that he used in this uh, in this book, this great masterpiece, uh, The Ladder of Divine Ascent, was Jacob's Ladder, the story of Jacob's Ladder. And, uh, you know, that, that climbing to heaven and, and being challenged at every rung. Every rung, he drew a number for every rung, and every rung is, is a particular virtue that we want to achieve and a passion that we want to uh, become dispassionate about and allow virtue and truth to overcome the passion. Uh, and so there's a much easier way to read it and understand it if you want to read it in a new book that was called 30 Steps to Heaven. 30 Steps to Heaven. It's not talking about earning your way to heaven. It's talking about life. If you drew this Jacob's Ladder and you saw each rung as uh, and, uh, as one of these uh, corresponding virtues and passions, sins in other words, uh, that we need to conquer in this world, by the grace of the Holy Spirit, then that uh, the greatest one of all is pride. 
And that's what Mary is saying here. Mary is saying that he scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. You know, remember he scattered the people in, in Babel when they were trying to build a tower to God and he confused everyone? Because humanity in our sinful estate always tries to become our own God if left unchecked. And you can disagree with me. Uh, hi, Cindy. Thanks for joining us. If you can disagree with me, you don't have to agree with anything I say here. I'm just a Bible teacher trying to teach what I believe about the scripture. But but I believe left to our own self, we try to become our own God in so many ways. And, and she's saying, God has scattered them. How has he scattered them? Because he has brought an end to the old dispensation by, by the incarnation of God in the flesh, Jesus Christ. He has brought an end to the old dispensation. The Savior is coming and will be born and will die on a cross and will be resurrected so that we may be resurrected, not just someday at the end of all time, but now in our spirits being born again through water and the word, as Jesus says, and through the power of the Holy Spirit. So uh, this is a moral revolution. I think E. Stanley's right. It's a moral revolution that God brought about for us. The moral standard is now Jesus Christ. And there is no other standard. It's the only standard by which we must be measured. And so that moral standard is huge. I believe it is a moral revolution. Now, the second one that, uh, the second one that he gives us is verse 52. Verse 52 says this, he has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of low degree. E. Stanley says this is a social revolution. We hear that word a lot in our world today. Hi, Debbie. Thanks for popping in here. We hear that word an awful lot, a social revolution. There's so much talk in our world about social justice and leading a, a, a social revolution, if you will. And we need to be very careful with our terminology there. We need to be very, very careful with our efforts there. Because um, Christianity is above all economic systems. Okay, There's no call to Marxism, no call to communism, no call to capitalism in Christianity. Okay, Hi, Kim. Thanks for joining in today. It is, Christianity is a social revolution. Why is it a social revolution? Because what God has done, he has exalted everyone of low degree. And, in the ancient world, prior to the birth of Christ, hi, Duane, thanks for being here today. There were kings and there were paupers, there, and there still are, I mean, but, but this is the way the world was organized. There were those because of pride and because of sin, and because of power, hunger, and everything. There were always the haves and the have-nots, and there still is. Uh, my dog's getting Pentecostal in there, I guess, uh, barking, so apologize for the competing noise there. Um, one of my dogs is a barker every time he hears a door or something. He's a little poodle, so he barks every time he hears something. Uh, so my thought was, um, every, there are these of low degree, okay? Everyone's of low degree. We're all, uh, we should all hear ourselves in Mary's words. He's regarded the humble estate of his servants, okay? And it says here that uh, not only has he, has he, uh, he uh, scattered the proud, but he's brought down the mighty and exalted the low. Okay, flip the world upside down. And, and in this social revolution, okay, 
there truly, I think we can say there truly is no such thing as a commoner. We're all children of the king. We're all children of the king. We're, we're sons and daughters of the king. Every human being on this planet who was ever born, who will ever be born, whoever lived is a child of God. They may not know it, but they are. They may not have a relationship with God, but they're invited to one. And that invitation is huge because how will they know unless someone tells them? And that's the call I'm trying to follow here is just hopefully people will fall in on this Bible study and, and find Christ and, and find that relationship. So um, it is a social revolution. I really believe that. Um, every person is equal. We, there's no one better than another. Uh, we are perfectly equal with one another. And so wherever we see in society and in economic models that, that, that we're raised in that, that show some are better than others, that's, that's not Christian. That's not Christian teaching. Um, so I told you it was three revolutions. E. Stanley said three revolutions. Here's the third, verse 53. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent empty away. This is an economic revolution, E. Stanley said, and I think he's right. An economic revolution. What do, what do, what do I think he meant by that? And, and what am I trying to say by that? I, I'm trying to say that in the kingdom of Christ, there is no privilege to amass more and more for ourselves at the expense of others, okay? There, that, that right doesn't exist, okay? We are called to give. To become a Christian is a call to give. Doesn't mean we can't take care of our needs and do the things that we're supposed to do. I know John Wesley said, earn all you can, to save all you can, but he said to give all you can. Never forget that, okay? Christianity is about giving. Thanks for that good word, brother. I, I tap out. Thanks for being here. I really appreciate it. God bless you, uh, brother Rob. So Christianity is about giving, okay? And and in that sense, no one has the right to amass uh, wealth and financial wealth at the expense of others, okay? We're going to be judged. Jesus had a lot to say about this. Jesus had a lot to say. He said, you know, it, he said it's very difficult for a camel. Uh, it's very difficult for a rich man to go to heaven than it, it's it's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than a rich man to go to heaven. Well, you know, people have thought up all kinds of ways to talk about that, like it's some metaphor. There was actually a gate with a called the camel's eye, and, and you know, then I don't. None of that's true. There's never been any proof of that. What Jesus meant is what he meant. What he meant was it's impossible for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, okay? And it's impossible for someone of great wealth and riches to go through to get to the kingdom of God we, unless we lay down that wealth, unless in our hearts we have truly laid it down and in our hearts we are truly giving. Because the truth is, most of us on this call right now, on this, on this uh, video, we, we don't even think we're wealthy, most of us. The truth is we are. We're wealthier with the little we have than almost the vast majority of the population of the world. So uh, everyone is called to give and to give sacrificially. That's the call of the gospel. That's the call of Christianity. And that is the third revolution here. It, it is a revolution for every person, a moral revolution for every person. The Magnificat gives us a moral revolution for every person. 
It gives us that morality that says, uh, God is our strength. He is our refuge. He scattered the proud. We must be low in heart. And it gives us the, uh, the social revolution to know that everyone is equal in Christ. And it gives us the economic revolution that we must sacrifice everything we have and give it all to him. Uh, I, I remember the teachings of uh, Crown Ministries used to be a big thing. Um, Dave Ramsey's ministry, you know, kind of took it over and Dave Ramsey's got a great ministry, no problem with it at all. But the beauty of Crown Ministries was that it taught the heart of scripture more than Dave did. Dave was more practical. Both are Christian programs. But what Crown did, I'll never forget, one of the things that you do in Crown Ministries is you, they had a deed, you know, a title, a deed made out. And part of it is that you have to write down everything that you would consider your own even including your children, your spouse, everything, your house, every, and you deed it over to Jesus Christ. You sign it, witnessed. That's a powerful, powerful thing to do. It's a powerful thing to think about. Um, so Mary, as we kind of close out this study today of the Magnificat, um, we see that Mary is with Elizabeth. She's singing this song in Elizabeth's presence. She's prophesying and rejoicing and singing this song in Elizabeth's presence. And she is, uh, it says here at the end, she's stayed with her about three months. Now remember, Elizabeth was six months pregnant when Mary got there. And so John the Baptist is approximately six months older than Jesus. And Mary stays with her three months. So that means Mary stayed pretty much until John the Baptist gave birth. And we don't have an exact chronology of what happened here, but we're going to pick up the story next week in, in talking about the birth of John the Baptist and leading into Zechariah's song. But, so, but we know that Mary stayed with her for a while. And can you imagine the joy of these two women? One older, one younger. One married many, many years in pastor prime and pastor childbearing years, but given the, the honor of the miracle of birthing the forerunner, the, the second most important man, Jesus Christ has said himself, no one greater than John the Baptist uh, of men, and, and the young virgin, betrothed to Joseph, betrothed to be married, the young and the old rejoicing together, both the receivers of incredible miracles. Both of them, the instruments of God, Mary and Elizabeth, the instruments of God to bring about the end of the old dispensation and to usher in the era of salvation. Powerful, powerful stuff. Uh, so the next time you read through Mary's song, I'm just going to encourage you to just meditate on it. Pray it. Sing it. Sing it, you know. Just sing it out. It doesn't matter if you sing it good, just like I didn't in that story I told in the beginning of the video today about my time at St. Matthew's Church. When I mean, I... I I was honored to get the solo of the first two lines, but I was horrified to be the director that couldn't even read music and botched the whole service for the church. But it doesn't matter whether you can sing on key. It doesn't matter whether you can sing in the right tempo. Just sing. Let your heart sing to God. My soul doth magnify the Lord. My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. And it just keeps going. 
for he hath regarded the low estate of his handmaiden. It, 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 it is a prayer, an incredible prayer. Well, as we kind of give some closing thoughts here today, that, that's kind of my closing thought. I want to challenge you. I want to ask you the same question I asked you earlier this week. Does your soul magnify the Lord? Because I want to read you something. You know, in this Bible study, I bring up a lot of ancient church fathers. Here's my closing word for you today. Well, this guy, I've talked about him before. His name was Origen. He was writing in the 200s, kind of the mid-third century, early to mid-third century. Origen didn't make it into the official list of what we would call church fathers, per se. He's not officially canonized as a saint because he, at the end of his life, was writing some things that people would view as universalism. You know, everybody gets in at the end of the time, everybody's saved. And that does not square with Christian teaching and nor scripture. But, but Origen had a lot of good things to say. So uh, he's a great study. And he said this, talking about being magnified, the image of the Lord being magnified. So listen to Origen here. When Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, there are two subjects, the soul and spirit. And they carry out a double praise. The soul praises the Lord and the spirit praises God. Not because the praise of the Lord differs from the praise of God, but because he who is God is also Lord, and he who is Lord is also God. You hear that, you hear that teaching, that, that early Christian dogma? Jesus is God and man. It's a mystery, just like the Trinity is a mystery. Don't try and explain it. When you try to explain it, you end up like Nestorius or Arian, trying to create a God that you can believe in and that you can understand. Well, right? Let me just tell you, I don't want a God that I can understand. I want a God who's omnipotent. I want a God who's omniscient. I want a God who's all-powerful. That's who our God is, the creator of the universe. Now, Origen goes on to say, we ask how a soul can magnify the Lord. That was my question this week. How can our soul magnify the Lord? The Lord can undergo neither increase nor loss. He is what he is. Thus, why does Mary now say my soul magnifies the Lord? He says, my soul is not a direct image of God. That's what I was speaking of in the beginning. It was created as an image of the image of the God that already existed before all time. Each one of us, and this is a real important phrase, each one of us shapes his or her soul into the image of Christ and makes either a larger or smaller image of Christ. The image is either dingy and dirty or it is clean and bright and corresponds to the form of the original, Christ. Well, that hurts to think that it could be a bad image or a good image. He goes on, some pretty important words here, he says. Therefore, when I make the image, when I make the image, the small with a small I, mine, when I make the image of the image, capital I, that is my soul, I enlarge and magnify it through my speech, through my thought, and, and the way I live. Then the Lord himself is magnified in my soul. And he is thus magnified. We are magnifying our image of him. But so too, if we are sinners, he is being diminished and decreased in our soul. Ouch. And here's the final thought from Origin. This is really ouch. But surely the Lord is not diminished, nor does he decrease. Get that thought. Rather, we create other images in ourselves instead of the Savior's image. 
instead of being the image of the word or of wisdom or justice or the rest of all the virtues, we actually assume the form of the devil. Ouch. Ouch. We assume the form of the devil. Brothers and sisters, we have two choices. Jesus said, you know, if you're not for me, you're against me. We have two choices. Surrender everything to the Lord Jesus Christ. Worship him only. Every day surrender. Give away everything to him, to his will for you, for his will for us, and live as an image of Christ. Or we cannot. And when we don't, we're living the image of the devil. You say, Brad, I'm not the devil. I don't do those horrible things. Hey, there is no in-between. It's either evil or it's good. That's a difficult pill to swallow. Very difficult pill to swallow. Hi, John. Thanks for joining in. But it's true. I really believe it's true. Um, you know, we, 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 we want to think of ourselves as not so bad. Well, at least we're not evil. And the truth is, if we're not with Christ, if we're not trying to surrender to Christ, if we're not trying to live out his faith, if we're not surrendering daily, if we're not living a confessional life that, that understands the spirit of God is being, uh, has been born in us and growing and transforming, as Paul said, being transformed from glory into glory into glory, then we are not and we are of the evil one. And uh, I, I don't want that to be true of me. I don't think you want it to be true of you or you wouldn't be spending an hour on the internet with me, even though there is a pandemic going on. Uh, but, uh, and maybe you can't get out and do the things you'd normally do at this time. But, but thank you for prioritizing time for the Bible, time for study. And I want to invite you just again, uh, ask a question. Uh, and if I didn't say hi to you, I just missed your name. Thank you for being a part of this Bible study. Uh, and thank you for those who will ever watch this or listen to this. Uh, I appreciate you very much, and I appreciate your prayers. I need your prayers and support for this ministry. Um, Brad Riley Ministries is a nonprofit ministry for the gospel of Jesus Christ, and uh, it can only exist by your gifts and your prayers. So thank you so much. And I would love to have you become a greater part of this ministry if, if the Lord leads you to do that. You can find out more about that on, on bradreillyministries.org. But thank you so much, please, for your prayers and everything. Now, I want to close by praying with you today. Hi, Brock. Thanks for joining us. Uh, let me pray for us today. Let me pray for us. A, a prayer in the spirit of, of Mary's song of praise here. Will you do that with me? Just bow your head and close your eyes. Let's just pray together. Father Almighty, Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, Holy Spirit, our Comforter, our Wisdom, we rejoice in you. We let our souls sing to you. We rejoice and we pray that you would magnify yourself in and through us. And Father, we lay down our all. We lay down our lives. We lay down our things. We lay down our emotions, our feelings. We lay down possessions. We lay down everything, knowing that you, in turn, exalt us. You exalt the lowly. And Father, we are your servants today. So as we rise from this place, from this time of study, would you help us to rise with your spirit? Help us to go forth with your spirit and to know that you are the image within us. 
and that we, when people see us, they can see you and that we become a blessing to them from you. A beautiful thought. Thank you for that truth. May it be true in us according to your word. As Mary said, let it be according to us, according to your word. God bless you. We ask this in the strong name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, who lives with you, Father, and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever and unto ages of ages. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for joining me today. Hi, Glenn. Uh, I hope you'll, those of you who came in a little late, come back and join. I love this because you can just watch it later and listen to it all. And thank you for being a part of this uh, Bible study today. God bless you. Next week, every Thursday, 11 o'clock, if you can do it. And if you can't, just watch the video later. But I love the, I love the interaction. Seeing your name on the screen means everything to me. I just love having you join in. Because one day, and, there, and there's pastors on this call. I'm evangelist on this, uh, this video. Uh, brothers and sisters, family, so many friends, thank you for being a part of this ministry. I need you. We need each other. God bless you. I'll see you next week. Well, that's all we have time for today. And I want to thank you again for listening in. I hope that our time together has been a blessing to you. While you're here, why not take a moment to add a comment or perhaps ask a question? You know, Forming the Spirit Within is a listener-supported ministry. And I really appreciate your feedback and your support. If you'd like more information on how to be a part of this ministry, you can find it online at bradreillyministries.org. Again, thanks for listening and spending the time with us today. And may the grace and peace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you as He forms His Spirit within you.